It goes up. All right. Have you ever had a time in your life when it had been particularly stressful and you thought, you know what, I'm going to plan for a peaceful time? Maybe it was a vacation, a day where you had a day where you're going to like take care of yourself, rest, get a massage, do whatever it took so you could just come back to regular life and feel renewed and refreshed. Some of you all are thinking it's been a while, right? Well, um, after Christmas Eve service, we got a little time off, my wife and I and, and kids, and uh, we actually had one of these times where everything was super relaxing. We just had a staycation for four or five days. We flew to Massachusetts to see my sister and uh, her family. The flight wasn't delayed. The luggage remo- uh, came on time. Nobody was fighting. The food was good. We got back on the plane. It was on time, which isn't always the case when I go there, by the way. So we come back, and uh, it's Sunday morning, last Sunday. I wake up at 5 in the morning and jump out of bed and go, oh my gosh, I'm preaching this morning and I'm late. And my wife goes, what are you talking about? You're not preaching this morning. And it's 5 in the morning. What are you doing? So my peaceful vacation, all of a sudden I was back into, you know, work mode, stress mode. I think I get Greg worried every time I go on vacation, I get a little more ADD. Last, uh, yesterday afternoon, I was in the office, and uh, I asked him, I go, hey, do you need me at the 8 o'clock service tomorrow? And he goes, yeah, you're preaching. And I go, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm preaching. <laughs> I was actually working on my message, so I just was, yeah, a little bit, a little bit off there. You know, I think all of us can relate to those times in life when we're seeking for peace and you know, things are good, things are good, and then all of a sudden chaos comes. Whether, whether it's the little stressors as far as family issues, um, money, job, health, whatever it is, or some of those bigger events that really can uh, knock us off course, we can find uh, that this peace that we are seeking gets pushed aside. I know if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, uh, this morning you probably woke up and experienced that lack of peace, but um, sorry about that. Makes me feel better that the Patriots lost to the Titans, you know, so. Hey, Greg in his sermon last week touched on this, on how, uh, you know, in our culture here in 2020, you would think with all the social media, all the things we have in our world that makes our lives easier, we'd be able to, uh, our lives would be easier. There'd be less uh, stress in the world. There'd be more peace. But all we have to do is just open the paper and realize that our world is not peaceful. As much as technology can help us, at times our our lives can seem chaotic. And that elusive peace that we seek for gets pushed aside once again. And I know what you're thinking. Right now Steve's going to say a few cliches about how God will give you peace and everything will be okay. And you're thinking, isn't that just another cliche? He's going to say that, but when it comes to real life, does my faith, or does faith in general, connect with what I'm going through on a day-to-day basis? Well, the good news this morning is not only do I believe that it does, but I believe that there's a deep peace that is available to each and every one of us every day for those of us who are believers. And it doesn't mean we're not going to have stress in our life, daily stressors. It doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect. We're not going to have big things that can knock us off course. But I think what we will find, and the good news this morning, is that we're going to find a peace that does pass us all understanding, as the Apostle Paul wrote about while he was in prison, by the way. See, the baptism of Jesus inaugurated a mission of peace. And this mission is extended to you and I today. 
And as we uh, walk through this uh, event this morning, we're going to see that this baptism of Jesus was actually very good news for you and for I. So let's take a look at this baptism. So the big question as we look at the scripture this morning, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, John thought the same thing. Actually, my wife, as I was preparing my sermon, she's like, so why did Jesus need to be baptized? And I'm like, I had my whole sermon written. I'm like, oh, thanks. Now I've got to cover that point. <laughs> well, John asked the very same question my wife asked. He said, I need to be baptized by you, by you and do you come to me? Well, what's going on here? Here John is, is this, you know, kind of a huge figure in the desert. He's speaking harsh words to people, saying, you know what, You're le- you guys are not right. You need to repent. You need to uh, be baptized. And yet John humbles himself and realizes that he's not the main event. He was preparing for this moment, for Jesus' ministry. But Jesus lets him know why it's important for him to be baptized. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill All righteousness. So the righteousness he was talking about, there's two different righteousness that are talked about in Scripture. This is not the ethical righteousness where he came to help us all to become better people. He came so all of us can have three three to five things in our life that are going to make us more um, existential in our life and make us happier, healthier people. No, that's not why he came. The righteousness he came was a salvation righteousness. This righteousness says, I'm not okay, you're not okay, We need help. We need a savior. This sin problem, this trying to do life on our own is not working. We need God in our life. And that's why Jesus came, to save us from our sins. And that's what he's letting John the Baptist know at that moment. And to validate why his baptism was important, as he's getting baptized, it says the Spirit of God came descending like a dove. I don't know what that looked like. There was some giant dove, but it was something that John the Baptist... um, when he saw it in the people around him, it was recorded by John. It must have been big. It was something out of, this ordi- out of ordinary. It was something supernatural that happened. They saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And when you think of a dove in Scripture, you think of Noah's Ark, the peace. That there's something about this uh, mission, this ministry, is going to be about peace. And if the Holy Spirit wasn't enough to validate this baptism, God the Father speaks. And he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The son was there. The Holy Spirit was there. The father was there. This was the big moment. For John the Baptist, a religious man, this was like the moment of all moments. It was like the triple rainbow. If you ever saw that uh, video that went uh, viral, he couldn't believe it. This all happened right before his eyes. But this was only the beginning. This baptism, it inaugurated Jesus' ministry. Why was he baptized? We talked about the salvation to save us from our sins, but there's another reason as well. He didn't need to be, but he wanted to identify with people so that people could see that he had total identification with all those other crowds that were coming to be baptized. He wasn't somebody who stood on a hill and said, you guys are all sinners, you're bad, I'm good, look at me, now look at you, you need to try to figure it out. No, instead, he came down into the lives, the day-to-day lives with people. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as one translation says it. And he spent time with all kinds of people, all people who had this in common. They had this sin problem of trying to do life on their own, and they were lost. 
He hung out with religious zealots. He hung out with regular religious people. He hung out with tax collectors, notorious sinners. People accused him of being a glutton and a drunk because he hung out with all the people that were uh, doing those sort of things. But here's the deal. He didn't partake in them. He just walked alongside of people. He truly was the Emmanuel. God is with us. Total identification with the people. And when you think about his baptism, the three things that were going on, he came, the life. He identified with the people. And in a baptism, it takes a person, right? That was Jesus. And then you go under the water, which symbolizes a death. So these were all foreshadows of what was going to happen in Jesus' life. He walked among the people. And then he died for the people's sins, just like in the baptism when you go under. But death didn't have the final word for Jesus. He rose again, just like when you come out of the water. So his baptism foreshadowed what he'd do in his ministry. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, Peter writes. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you and I to God. In his resurrection, it's, uh, Paul reminds us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life for all who believe in him. So you think of that baptism way back, his life to identify with the regular people, him coming out, going under the water to symbolize the death that was going to happen on the cross, to die for people's sins, and then coming out of the water on that day to remind people once his ministry was fulfilled of the hope of the resurrection. You know, once the actual uh, baptism was done, Jesus got to work. Said he, uh, Peter describes it in the book of Acts. He went around doing good things and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. His ministry was definitely one of peace. It was peace through righteousness, as I said before, and what he set forth on the cross when he died for people's sins. Isaiah the prophet prophesied about this. He said, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. When he's speaking about the Messiah, I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant, a promise, a promise for the people, and a light, a guide for the Gentiles. So Isaiah saw it, that the Savior, this Messiah, would come to be a promise for his people, to bring them back to God, and to be a guide for people who are stuck in darkness. Not only was it a peace that was brought through righteousness of putting people right with God and right with their neighbors, the nature of ministry was setting people captive from the bondage they had in sin. And not just eternally speaking, but in their day-to-day lives. He healed people. He healed the blind, the sick. People who are struggling with things on the inside, like the woman who had an issue of bleeding for many, many years. When Jesus healed her, he said, go in peace and be freed from your suffering, even things that were not obvious. When he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, he let them know uh, that they need not be afraid. He said, while they were still talking about this, Jesus stood himself among them and said to them, peace be with you. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Just like after his baptism, he went into the world to bring about uh, the righteousness through the cross and through the resurrection. He is sending his disciples to have this mission of peace as well, to tell people about what Christ has done, about the hope they can have, to pray for people who are struggling, 
So on this side of heaven, they can escape the bondage that comes from a life that is pushed away from God. So what does this have to do with your personal peace? Well, there's a story in Acts that we was read earlier of Peter talking to Cornelius. So Cornelius was like your every, your every man, maybe a little bit better. He was a really good guy. He prayed all the time, but he was a Gentile. And uh, the Jews really respected this guy, but he hadn't quite connected the dots with his faith. And he had heard about Christ, and he was interested. And a matter of fact, Christ... Um, he had heard about this message um, through a dream, through an angel visiting him, that he needed to go see Peter. And Peter had a similar vision. So they meet, and it's this holy encounter, and Peter's like, okay, what do I say? And he says these words to him about the essence of the gospel. He said, Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil, because God was with them. So Peter shares these words to Cornelius. Cornelius hears these words, and he understands what Jesus has done for him, and his whole family is baptized. See, so here's what Cornelius got. He understood that this gospel was for all people. Peter said to him, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Cornelius was included, and you are included in what Jesus has done on the cross. The second thing that... Uh, Cornelius Scott was he understood that his acceptance of what Jesus had done hinged on him recognizing the lordship of Christ. When Peter said these words, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So in other words, this uh, lordship of Christ, it's not just saying, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, we're going to try to be nicer people. It's recognizing that we can't do it on our own that we need the lordship of Christ. We need to recognize that and live into it. I like the movie The Holy Grail. Some of you may know that movie. It was back in the 70s. And there's a uh, great line or kind of a dialogue that happens, and I won't do an English accent, don't worry, because that would be bad. But King Arthur is trying to find out who lives in this castle, and he comes along these peasants who are, I don't know what they're doing, they're in the mud just like throwing it against the ground, and he stops him and starts talking to him, and he tell, they're like, who are you? And he goes, I'm King Arthur. And they're like, King who? He goes, I'm King Arthur, the king of the Brits. And it just quite, isn't quite working for them. And then the one lady goes, well, I didn't vote for you. And he's like, you don't vote for a king. He's trying to get his point across. See, well, I think when it comes to uh, Jesus saying, uh, or Peter telling you, people that Jesus is Lord of all, see, it's true for everybody, whether they recognize it or not. So the message for all of us is not that Jesus is Lord, it's do you recognize it? Have you surrendered your life? Do you recognize his rule, not only of the world, but in your heart? So that comes down to this. Let's think about baptism. For those who have been baptized, 
when you're baptized, it takes a life. It takes you saying, if you're older or if you're younger, your parents will say it on behalf of you, that you submit your life to Christ's rule. And then as water is sprinkled under you, or if you happen to get baptized in the ocean or the river, you actually go under, it's to symbolize uh, death. Not an actual, like, dying, we're not going to leave you under there until you can't breathe anymore, but to symbolize that you are implicated in Christ's death for dying for your sins. Paul writes it like this for help us to make sense of baptism. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, listen to this part, just as Christ was raised from dead through the glory of the Father, we may too have a new life. So the water symbolizes a new life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Peter said as he was speaking to Cornelius in the household, he said that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, a new life, a fresh start, but not a start like, let's see how you do this time. Oh, sorry, you messed up again. But instead, you're under the lordship of Christ. And as you sin, you have a savior that keeps bringing you back to him. And you continue to recognize his authority in your life, that he created you and that he knows you. The other good thing uh, for all of us who've put our trust in Christ is, is that we're not on our own. We have been incorporated into a body. And if you really think of that metaphor in a body, it's strong. If your little toe hurts, your rest of your body knows it, right? I stubbed my toe the other day. I'm still feeling it this morning. So a healthy body is continually reminding each other who they belong to, that Jesus is Lord. As people struggle, maybe they struggle with sin or just getting into bad habits. We're continually bringing people back and telling them about the grace of Christ, telling them about his lordship, reminding them of who they belong to. We're also reminded as believers that as we have this hope in us, that we're supposed to share it with others. I love saying this in sermons as you think of the famous fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and self-control. If you think of ourselves as fruit trees, you've never seen a fruit tree eat its own fruit. It would be odd, right? If you, it would be like some horror movie. But for all of us, these gifts that God has given it to us, whether these inner things or whether these gifts of whatever we're good at, whether it's business or relationships or our counseling people, we can share that with other people, share that not just with the body of believers, but those who don't believe. Paul writes in Romans, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Cornelius and his house responded to Peter's message. They were baptized. They submitted to the lordship of Christ. They understood that he died in their place. So they died with them in their baptism. And they came out of their baptism as people who belong to the lordship of Christ and wanted to share that good news with other people. So as a church body, we have a job to do. Our job together collectively is to possess, maybe the wrong word, but to have this peace that passes understanding and to offer it to the world. 
Because that's only available through the Holy Spirit. And we encourage each other. And he fills us up. And it's not just for us, but it's to go out and to share that with the world. See, what happens in baptism is to be shared with the world. That we tell the world that, look, you can't do life on your own. Christ died for you. For those who believe there's the real hope of resurrection, that death doesn't have the final word for their lives. This truly is a a ministry that our church has, not only of calling people into the righteousness that comes from God, of getting in a right relationship with him and others, but also helping to set other people free from the bondage of sin. In our communion service each Sunday, this is a reminder of who we are, of what Christ has done for us, and our identity as living into the hope we have in Christ as we come to the uh, table this morning. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. For those of you who are baptized, I encourage you to live into who you are. For those of you who are not, who have not said yes to Jesus, I encourage you to submit your lives to him, to admit that you need help, to put your faith and trust in him, commit your ways to him. You're not on your own. The Holy Spirit is with you. Emmanuel, God is with us. He will help you as you move forward into that. The late Eugene Peterson, in one of his books on the resurrection, told this story about a friend of his who went to his church. And she was a grandmother, and her and the other grandmother, the paternal and the maternal grandmother, right, had a granddaughter, and they both loved the granddaughter a lot, and they both were strong believers. And the first grandmother came there and I guess gave the little granddaughter a lot of, took that spiritual grandmother ring very seriously. Now, when the next grandmother came, the little girl said something curious. She said, Grandma, let's not have any more God talk, okay? See, I believe God is everywhere. Let's just get on with life. And, uh, you know, maybe her theology wasn't the best, but, uh, you know, here's the deal. If what I say up here is just empty God talk, if we're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great, but we don't leave here changed, the little girl is right. It's just empty. We need to get on with our lives. Not our lives without God, our lives with God as we share the hope we have in Christ. In Psalm 116.9, it says, I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We're to leave here and go out in the land of the living and share the hope we have. In that same verse I read earlier in Romans 12, uh, 1, and I'll extend it to 2, I want to conclude my sermon with that. And it was from the same uh, uh, theologian, Eugene Peterson, who wrote a version of the Bible called The Message. I'll try to put it in some everyday language. Here's how uh, Romans goes. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, that's all of us, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it, to fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Let us pray. Lord, help us to offer our lives, our everyday, ordinary lives, over to you every day. And as we leave here today, 
Rather than just hearing a God talk, I pray that we would live that faith out in the world of the living, that we'd share the hope that we have from what you did on the cross. We'd share our hope not only in uh, um, this life, but in the resurrection. Give us opportunities to share and remind us again and again, not only do we have a body that's with us, but you are with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.